Welcome to another edition of Cloud Unfiltered. I'm your host, Michael Chenitz, and we're at a special edition at KubeCon in Chicago, the Windy City. And my guests are from KubeShop, right? Yes. And, and why don't you introduce yourselves? You should start. Yeah, <laughs> my name's Courtney Hendrickson. Um, I'm a developer advocate for the Monocle Project, which is a project being accelerated at KubeShop, which we're gonna talk about more. Um, this is my second time on this show. Is it always two? I thought you'd been knocking on it more. I don't even know. That's because better. I know. I know. It feels uh, like more better. But this is because we talk more often than <laughs> more often in private than than on the microphone. Oh, okay. But I'm so excited to be here again. So thanks yeah. for having us. Yeah. Yeah. I'm Ole Lensman Institute at CubeShop. Uh, started CubeShop a couple of years ago with my colleague Dimitri. Um, and I'm very involved in the Monocle project as well, working. Yeah, so so just a little history there for, for for my involvement is is I was first of all I worked for Emerging Tech. I still work for Emerging Tech at Cisco, uh, but my 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 back then I was working with Intersight Kubernetes Service, which was a Kubernetes service that we had it's with us. Um, but but you know, and I was always searching for tools that would basically be like an IDE for Kubernetes. And so there were some like plugins for, um, you know, VS Code. There were some things that kind of did what I wanted, but not really. And so I was so excited when mm -hmm. I finally saw Monocle. So I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm looking for. And and so I got really excited about it and started to use it. That's and awesome. It, yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what we were aiming for. I think that was exactly the problem. So I was so if you want to do your ideal, you know, customer profile, then just look at me. That's it. Was it. it was me. <laughs> Michael is it. <laughs> so yeah, no, and that's that's how I got introduced to to KubeShop. And and honestly, it's it's funny because every project that I've seen now that's that's new and interesting, or or a lot of them, I I don't even know they're KubeShop first. But then I start talking, they're like, yeah, yeah, we're we're by KubeShop. I'm like, you guys are like a micro CNCF. Oh, well, that's so flattering. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, I think we've been super fortunate. It's a fantastic space to be in. And we've been fortunate having great having great teams around the ideas that we've had. So the project that we have now, we're super proud of them. They're doing really well in the community. So it seems like, and this is from an outsider's perspective. I don't I don't know, but it seems like like there's certain projects like Monocle probably started inside Coopshop, but there's also a certain element that probably started outside and then somehow along the way became by Coopshop. Yeah, that's good. Uh, you're right. So the initial projects that started. Two and a half years ago, Monocle, Test Cube, and a project called Cusk, which we is no longer being maintained actively. But then uh, we onboarded uh, in order of appearance, I think it was BotQ, Trace Testing Cube first, which were projects that were either externally uh, created that we kind of uh, acquired into CubeShop or that we uh, started within CubeShop but with uh, external founders. So, so what's the process? Like, does somebody approach you? Does somebody, or do you just see a project that you like that looks like it needs some assistance? Or what, is, what happens? It's been a little bit of everything, actually. So for, for, for uh, BotCube, it was a project that was basically not being actively, actively maintained, and we thought it was an interesting thing to get into. So we reached out to, to IntraCloud, who was the, then kind of the company behind it, and said if, you know, if we could find a way for us to take over that project and start building the community again, reviving it, building a dev team, et cetera. So that's how kind of BotCube came into, into uh, Cube Shop. Uh, Cube First was where we were approached by the founders, uh, 
Jared and John, and they were looking for a, an umbrella to work under. And I mean, those guys are fantastic. They're, they're, they're amazing. They're amazing. Yeah. Uh, so we, you know, we talked to them for a while until then, until they joined. And then Trace, Trace Test was, uh, was founded around one of the, the, the founder of Trace Test or the guy drive, driving it, um, Ken, is someone we'd worked with before and we knew that he's an extremely capable and you know, smart guy and he was eager on starting a new project. So we ideated together with him uh, and he was keen on pursuing testing uh, based on open telemetry. Uh, so I've worked a lot in testing and so telemetry seemed like a good fit for us as well. So is there, I don't know if there is, and you could say absolutely not, but is there like a like a, a mantra or something you go for when you're looking at these products? Is it like, we are the testing company or we are the, you know, what is the, no, what is the... <laughs> no, I think it's, I mean, I'm sure there's a certain bias towards testing just because mm -hmm. it's something we've, I've, I've done a lot uh, previously, but um, not really. I think we're just trying to find things where we feel that these are uh, interesting areas within the cloud native space. Uh, testing is one space, which I think has been underserved, uh, yeah. which I think... Uh, it's not really sexy. It's no, it's not. Like it never has been, <laughs> unfortunately. But it's it's definitely there's definitely a need for testing. And actually, just walking the floor today at KubeCon, you see more and more booths or companies, projects talking about testing yeah. uh, and seeing you know we, how they speed up testing or how they improve testing, etc. So I remember we were here in Detroit. There was no one talking about testing except that. Well, stuff. I think AI has kind of revolutionized that because they're, 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 yeah, because they're like now we could write your test scripts yeah. for you, which is. Kind of true, yeah. You know, but it's just like I was. I was talking on the previous podcast how Copilot kind of writes stuff for you, but if you don't know what you're doing in that code first, it's probably not going to do the best job for you. It's just like anything with AI. If your prompt isn't good enough, you yeah. you don't know enough to be able to prompt it. You're not going to get an output that's even remotely useful. So. Yeah, absolutely. But then also, just I mean, I think as many kind of accelerators or incubators or whatever, however you want to kind of categorize CubeShop. Uh, if you firmly believe in the founders like John and Jared for Cube First or like Ken for Trace Test, then you'll you'll know that they're going to figure it out. Even if the idea doesn't have maybe the perfect product sure. market fit, initially they have the drive and the enthusiasm and the expertise and the energy to figure out and find that fit. And, and I think that's what we ultimately most guys definitely have. They definitely yeah. 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 know that. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. It's, it kind of it's it shows everywhere. You know, when I was talking to them, and they were great guys to talk to. But yeah, and, and it's interesting you say that because really the best ideas are come from frustration where, where you're banging your head on the wall mm. so many times where you're like, okay, I just got to create a better solution mm. for this because I know I can do this better. And, and you know, it's funny because the reason why it's one of the things that, that I'm really good at is, is that I'm very technical, but there's a million technical people out there. And, and, but I can explain why something's important to somebody. Mm. And what you see with a lot of these tech companies, the ones especially that don't know what they're, why they have a product, and there's a lot in cloud native, you know, that they sound like great products, they solve a really technical niche, mm. but they still don't know how to sell their product. Mm. And the reason is either A, they, there's no need for that because it doesn't really solve a real business problem, or B, they just don't know how to talk about them mm. in, in a way that makes sense. So what you guys have done though is is pretty interesting. Is that I I feel like you've saw you've looked at it in a way where it's like okay here are the here are the problems that we've had mm -hmm. and created all these solutions for it. So it's, that's the way I see it from the outside. Well, it's definitely been like that for for Monaco. I mean, I was in the exact 
same position that you described initially. I was like cobbling together all these plugins and, and stuff into VS Code or IntelliJ, and it was never really a smooth experience. Exactly. There was always something missing. I felt like this could be so much easier, so yeah. much better uh, uh, if it was more an integrated and a dedicated tool. And that's kind of where Monk came from. And then TestCube was about running tests, just seeing how, how people trying to run and execute tests and orchestrate and automate with, with Kubernetes as a constraint or, or as an opportunity. Sure. Uh, it was also not something that someone was really had targeted or looked at. And it feels like there was so much like this could be so much better, so much easier. So it's definitely we've been scratching our own itch when it comes to that project. So what's new in the monocle world? What's, uh, you know, I, I know Courtney doesn't really <laughs> want to talk about it, but she will anyway. Uh, you know, what's new in the world of monocle? Uh, well, since the last time we talked, uh, I think we have an entire new a policy a policy enforcement pipeline tool uh, that we didn't even have remotely ideated that is now up and functioning and being used actively and adopted. Um, focus is very much on helping people configure their YAML manifests through providing your developers actual guardrails and guidelines of how and what needs to be configured and, and how to configure it so they can do that more easily and then shift the rest of the responsibility back to the right where it needs to be to get things into production. And we have more open source tooling. So we don't just have our desktop tool anymore. We now have a CLI. We've got a Git bot so you can actually do pre-commit a validation of everything that's going on as well as in cluster. We have an admin controller that's coming out to help people test policies and, and validate their policies once everything goes live. Um, so we're actually covering now not just being a YAML IDE, a YAML focused IDE, which we still have an IDE component in absolutely everything that we do, um, because we also just built a VS Code ex extension. Awesome. Yeah, so now we have an additional IDE. If you want to keep using your own, which we totally understand because everybody loves their IDE, you don't have to leave yours to come into ours. We've now taken what you need from our tooling and put it into, into your favorite IDE. So we have a complete set of, of tools and resources that can be used standalone or integrated together in order to be able to cover the entire um, policy enforcement pipeline and help people actually uh, make a better experience for your developer uh, when they're getting stuck doing YAML, which isn't actually something that they initially thought they were going to do when they went to software engineering, right? It, but with the growth of Kubernetes is something that, that now they've taken on. And if in your DevOps pipeline, you already had problems with communication between dev and ops, that problem has now scaled just as everything else has. What we're trying to do is helping people bridge the gap between those two um, workflows and, and make it a lot less painful and, and make it easier for people to communicate and collaborate and, and configure. You could have just said there was nothing new. Nothing new, <laughs> right? Come on. There it is. That was the summary. So, so, so I have questions about that. <laughs> um, so, first of all, for people that don't know out there, Monocle is both open source and there are some cloud version too that is, you know, a closed source component. So, which pieces of that, like, like you know, we talk about this policy-based workload. Mm -hmm. Is there elements of that in both? Is it, you know, how so, does it... So, the cloud version is the policy management console. So that's where you go in and you define your policies using a visual tool. And there's a, 
of hundreds of rules that you can pick from to kind of create the custom policy that you want to enforce uh, for your code. And those rules are the same that you'd see in other like security policy tools like Kubernetes or OPA, etc. So it'll be immediately familiar. And that's the closed source tool. And then there's a bunch of open source tools, like you were saying, the ID, the CLI, the VS Code extension, uh, the admission controller, etc. Uh, that then hook into the cloud platform to pull that policy and enforce it locally. So you don't have to use the cloud tool to manage your policy centrally. You can just manage, create policies using a config file. It's a YAML file in itself, and then you can distribute that file manually uh, and use it in those various open source tools. But if you really want to get the benefit of having a centralized policy management console where you can define the policies, you can uh, work with suppression so you can exclude certain rules in certain cases, and you want to track maybe over time compliance with policies, that's what you get when you go for the commercial kind of control plane. Which makes sense. Yeah, because when, when you think about it, I mean, for, for me, when I'm testing stuff, I want a desktop, something like, like a monocle. But once it goes into production, you want to be able to scale these things and look at it, and it should be something centralized where you, where you want to look at these things. Um, you know, so so you definitely want some kind of platform that can that can look at those. And you know, the hardest part for for and I, and I say this all the time, so my my listeners are going to get sick of it. But the hardest part is not learning Kubernetes initially. It's it's after you've created and got those and, and have those microservices implemented, and then you go to say, okay, I want to put this into production. Okay, well, have you checked all the policies? Do you have privileged access? Do you have, what's your supply chain look like? What's your, you know, all these things that you're not considering just to get the application up and running, but you are going to need to consider it when you're going to put it into production. Yeah, no, that's not right. And I think what we what we really want to encourage is, is, is for teams and users, developers to adopt these rules as early as possible, right? So Absolutely. not wait too long. It's, and it's easier said than done because yeah. you, to your point, you maybe, if, especially if you're new to Kubernetes, you're just happy to get something. Just get it up and right? running. That's it. Yeah, and then and then it's kind of deploy and forget sometimes. Yep. And then first, when you kind of bump into issues, that you go back to. But I, on the other hand, I think if you many people starting new, if you're a seasoned developer or you've done for a while, and you start a new project with TypeScript or something else. What one of the first things that you do is you get your linting into place and you get all those rules into place. And uh, I think what we want to foster is, is that kind of hygiene as well, like that culture. Uh, so start uh, really early on, just getting some basic rules into place to make sure you know, you're kind of staying within the common constraints. And then as you go along and you learn more about your application and how it's used, you're going to want to revise those policies and get those rules, et cetera. And we want to uh, you know, provide people with a platform that allow them to do that. You also want to do the opposite too, which is if you have a centrally managed policy, you want to make sure that somebody's not changing those things manually. Mm -hmm. So you want to reflect back mm -hmm. to see that, you know, hey, well, how about any of these policies change, you know, and they weren't supposed to change. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So and I think it's, as I, there's different roles in play, in play here, right? There's, uh, especially if the, as the organization grows, you're going to have some people really responsible for the cluster and they're going to want to put policies in place very early on, at least from a security point of view. And once again, we want to make sure that those, we want to shorten that loop so you don't run into troubles just very late on in the de deployment cycle, right? So, so the earlier, once again, the earlier you can fix and apply these policies and force them, uh, thanks to some kind of central centralized policy management device. And it's not all about security policy either. Sometimes it's literally just a 
these are the parameters that are actually going to get this into production faster. So please sure. just apply them yeah. and making sure that your dev team doesn't have to figure out what those are. They just know what they are from the beginning. The context switching doesn't have to happen. They don't have to look into it. They just know what those are and can apply them straight from the beginning so that when they actually pass it on, it's production ready. Yeah. Um, and and it cuts down the feedback loop exponentially. And it depends on where you want that to happen because it's like, you know, it's funny. I have all these people that come on that have different solutions and they start at different areas and they'll stop yeah. at different areas. Like tomorrow I'll have, uh, you know, Darren Shepard and, and Shannon Williams on who have Acorn mm -hmm. and they're going to tell me about how Acorn, mm -hmm. you know, will take you through that. You don't have to think about mm -hmm. those things as a platform, you know. So so it's it's interesting to see. And there's no wrong or right answer, I don't think. It's, it's a matter of what feels right to you. You know, but but it's 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 interesting how people have a different kind of take yeah. on some of these things. I don't and think there can be a right or wrong answer because every DevOps pipeline is drastically different. Absolutely. Right? Depending on the industry that you're working in, it, what your business objectives are, the tooling that you have, the human resources that you have, or lack thereof. A, it, it all drastically changes what you're going to need to be able to do. So there isn't any right answer or wrong answer. I do think there's a certain amount of a, when tools only enter into one specific enforcement point, or we start here and we end right here, that ends up being a bit short-sighted and, and doesn't actually serve people very well because your actual use case, if we're talking about CICD, it is a continuous thing that repeats. And if you're only doing one very small part of that, you're not considering an entire pipeline of work. Um, sometimes things can fall short, but it again, depends on how long that CICD pipeline is and what the workflow is for some people, something very short is what they need. So I, I don't think there is a right or wrong answer in the world of, of DevOps and especially in Kubernetes. It's one of the things that you guys strive for though, to make these things simpler. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. If, yeah. You, if you can't make it simple, then what are we doing here? Right? Um, yeah. It's it's not sustainable. If everything continues to stay that complex and so complex that nobody knows exactly how to do it, um, it's it's unsustainable. That's how you end up with, with cloud bills that are tens of millions of dollars and all of a sudden people are going, why did we do this? That's not sustainable. It needs to be easier. Um, and a lot more straightforward earlier on so that the entire team can now be more productive and then you can actually take time to decide where you're going to locate resources and cut down costs because if it doesn't get easier, then you're not actually making your business objective. There's no revenue on that end. I love that though. I mean, because I, I, I often, and I think we've even talked about this, I often think about the complexity of, of, of the ecosystem and somebody coming into this and just saying, hey, I heard yes. about containers. I need to get this thing called microservices up because my CTO is telling me we need to containerize everything. And let's check out Kubernetes. Okay, let's check out the CNI. Okay, let's check out the CSI. Okay, what other what other add-ons do I need? And it just it would seem so overwhelming to somebody coming into a KubeCon and and just looking around. And it's like, well, how do I simplify this? I was just talking to a gentleman today um, at our booth who was very much saying somebody needs to just write something that's like DevOps for normal people in Kubernetes. He was like, I'm trying to tell my team they have to adopt this and I don't really understand all the different facets of how to uh, do a YAML manifest and, how, and, and the resource correlations. 
And and that was his thing. He was like, I'm trying to get my team to adopt this, but then we do something. And I didn't really realize it was going to affect these other resources because they were just getting started. So if you don't get to a point where you make visual tools and, and things that are it make it easier to see how things are going to affect one another, it, at some point it becomes too heavy of a lift. Well, I think especially with policies, which is something that, as we were saying earlier, something you want people to adopt as early as possible in the life cycle. You want to make that simple. And I think today, many people maybe are aware that there's such a thing as policies, and then they think of security, and yeah. they think, oh, this is messy, and I'll do that later. Yep. Uh, later never, later never happens, and then, you know, and then some, something bad happens because you haven't done that. So I, we definitely want to simplify and lower the barrier for teams to start using policies uh, and help them along that journey and show them that it's not that hard and it doesn't mean that you have to adopt new tools. You can stay within your existing tools and your existing workflows, et cetera, uh, and integrate the policy enforcement as, you know, as, as it works best for you. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I have a friend that works at Slim AI. She was telling me that they analyze all the containers, you know, yeah. all the time. And the amount of containers that have, that are configured improperly or have vulnerabilities is just astounding. You know, and it's 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 kind of a scary thing, you mm -hmm. know, and and just even at the container level, that's just at the container level. You know, think about all the other stuff that's unknown, and it, and the reason is is because it is a newer, it's still a newer technology. It might not be Kubernetes, might not be, you know, the newest anymore, but people are still pretty much learning about yeah. it. They're still yeah. in the learning stages, yeah. so things aren't configured necessarily the, the proper way. And then, as you were saying, nobody goes back to to fix it. Uh, and then. And it's this fallacy, right? You think you you think you're going to fix it later, but now I just want to get this thing working, right? To to have that proof of concept to show it to my potential customer or whatever, yep. and then you know uh, everything got run falls from there, and then as you say, you never get back to that until it's it's like when we used to you know bring up VMs and we were like ah oh, we you know we'll we'll overspec it and then we'll yes. go back and we'll bring it back, but no, but no one ever brought it back, and then you just have like a gazillion terabytes of stuff running, and, 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 you know. So it's pretty crazy. So what else is going on in, in, in Coop Shop that's that's maybe new and uh, exciting? Well, the other part. So you're going to talk to Bruno, right? About Bruno. Test Cube. Uh, so Test Cube. Is Wait, we don't talk about Bruno. Uh, <laughs> Isn't that how it goes, though? Isn't that? Yeah, the, uh... yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about no. Um, the Test Cube is a fantastic project that really is making testing a thousand times easier for people and has a huge adoption rate. We're are very interested in it. Um, you can talk more about Test Cube. I can talk more well. about Test Cube, you, definitely. You can go on for days, yes, though. Testing. I'll catch you all. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, testing is something that is always catching on. Like, like we talked about earlier. So we're definitely seeing a big adoption of people realizing, okay, we need to move our testing activities, executions, et cetera, into Kubernetes, and how do we do that in an efficient way, especially if they're in an architecture where they have some Jenkins and they have some uh, GitHub Actions, and then they have some Argo CD, and they're realizing every tool is doing this different. It wouldn't be great if we had just one place to run all our tests in a consistent way and get our results in, in a consistent way. And I think as people are moving into cloud native and adopting this polyglot approach to everything. I think TestCube, they're discovering TestCube and how much easier it makes it. So that's really great. To so how does it, explain that, like, how would you set this up? How would, how would it work? How would you go into using TestCube? Like, what, what is the scenario? Well, so it depends on where you start, obviously. But so let's say today, if you're using a CICD tool or multiple CICD tools to run and execute your tests, what you do practically is, is, to, is to configure those tests to be run by TestCube instead, and then trigger those 
the test cube from your CI/CD tool. And in that way, you'll get a consistent way of running tests, and you'll have one place where you get all your results, uh, regardless of how those tests was triggered. And since it's Kubernetes native, it's, uh, it'll also allow you to run tests in response to events happening inside your clusters. So you might say, hey, run these tests whenever this deployment gets updated, no matter what, how it gets updated, right? And you might be doing Argo, you might be doing manual deployments, et cetera. Uh, and then uh, you'll have a really beautiful dashboard where you can get the results from all the testing tools. We support like 15 testing tools today. So if you're using like Playwright, Cypress, uh, Postman, you know, K-Sticks, you, know, you name it, right? And, and it's really easy to add your own. So we're not saying you have to adopt a new testing tool. It's more a new way of, of executing and orchestrating your tests. And since the tests are running in Kubernetes, we can leverage Kubernetes scalability concepts and you don't have to, or scalability, scalability scalability to run large numbers of tests. We have users who are running hundreds of tests in parallel, so we can do that thanks to Kubernetes. Uh, so there's just a lot to gain from, from piggybacking off Kubernetes and Kubernetes infrastructure and paradigms when it comes to testing. So Yeah, and, and, and I go back to, you know, that's like the last thing people think about is like, even though you still have, nowadays you have, you know, well, I don't, I don't know if it's still popular, but test-based mm -hmm. development was the thing. Yeah. You know, I don't know if we're, we're away from that. TDD. Yeah. Well, I think, I think it's still there for when it comes to maybe like unit testing, et cetera. So, yeah. so, but I think as the complexity of applications grows, it's not as, it's definitely not as easy as it maybe was when you had a monolith, uh, uh, one thing that you built and deployed and that was it. Uh, but I mean, it's also, I mean, like we were saying, people, there's room for all kind of approaches, right? Yeah. So I'm sure there are teams that are doing TDD and they contract first and they're doing all that goodness and you know, I'll honor to them. But I think a lot of people today are just trying, migrating into Kubernetes and they have a bunch of tests that they want to run and how are we going to run these? We don't, and there's just a bunch of constraints showing up where they're unsure and that's what testing can build. That's awesome. So what's, what, what do you foresee in the near future? Do you, is there anything that you, you haven't done yet that you want to do or you want to get into, or, or we, maybe we can't talk about that, but is there uh, other things that you want to get into? <laughs> <laughs> I just want to take a nap at some point. Six months have been intense. <laughs> well, I think it's always a challenge in your space. There's so much new cool stuff yeah, yeah. and there's new, new opinionated ways of doing things. And so I think what, Right now, we're just trying to double down on what we have and maybe not get too distracted by, by everything out there, but we're still trying to be inspired or learning uh, and adopting to how people want to build and deploy applications. But I think KubeShop for now is, is, is very focused on the projects that we have. That's awesome. So I'm going to ask one last question. I'll have both of you guys answer it. Um, we are at KubeCon. So, so what is it that interests you? What is it that, you know, you see and you're like, okay, I've really got to learn more about that. Or maybe it's something that you're, you just like at KubeCon. Maybe it's just talking to people. I don't know. But what is it that you're, that, that, that really interests you this year? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, um, just talking to people around how they use or perceive our projects is yeah, super yeah. interesting because it's, it's always, you get just get a different perspective, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, they, oh, that's how you're using it. Oh, that's the problem it solves for you. And that's so great feedback. Yeah. Always, sometimes yeah. it could be, oh, why didn't we think of that? But yeah. it's also good to think about it. But then also, like I was saying earlier, just seeing how testing is being more uh, talked about. And it's something I go around actively seeing, kind of trying to see is, how's kind of testing permutating into the Kubernetes and cloud native world, uh, which is, I think, great for us. And it's also an opportunity for us to learn. Uh, 
to evolve those test related Awesome. That's me. Courtney, I'm not leaving you out of this. So. No, I, I've actually had quite a few very interesting hallway track talks about truly the culture that's going on in people's companies, whether it's the culture of their development team or how people are collaborating or not collaborating to do certain things. Um, that's, that's always fascinating to listen and participate in those conversations because you suddenly realize, oh my gosh, everybody's truly having the same the same human issues. Because yeah. a lot of times uh, we get so caught up in, in the tech and geeking out about all of the engineering that's going on and oh, how cool is that? We just built this. But then when you're actually having a hallway track type of talk, people are really talking about the human issues that they're still struggling with. Um, and obviously working in, in DevRel, a, that's that's something that is constantly coming up, but being in a space like KubeCon where the community is truly so welcoming and open, uh, people actually open up and get very vulnerable about how they're struggling to manage their team and that it actually has an emotional effect on them because they don't know how to make things better or I'm really truly searching for a tool that can help my team do this because it's too big of a lift for them and and I don't know how to help them do it and, and I think that at the end of the day that's that's truly the value that comes out of out of these types of conferences is people getting together and actually connecting on, on those types of levels that it's not all about the tooling there there are other things going on in the background that everybody's struggling with yeah, and by the way, I heard that you killed it this morning with uh, with this, uh, or not this morning, this weekend with this presentation. So that you did amazing. So, uh, thank, and, thank uh, you so much, my co-presenter uh, here. Didn't show up. Didn't show up. <laughs> <laughs> I missed the connecting side. That's okay. Just okay. She worked it out. And now we've that's it. Yeah. So we've made up for it now. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so congratulations on that. I thank think it's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you guys so much for coming on. I Thanks think, you know, I, I always enjoy having you guys. Oh, it's great to be here. Looking forward yeah. to the next one. Yes, yes. absolutely.